Hi, I'm Max Moynian. And I'm Henry Lin, and welcome to Better World. Better World is an exploration of badass people doing really cool things. The more we know about this world, the better we can do in changing it. One thing that really appealed to me about this whole space of carbon dioxide removal and, and direct air capture is that there is an inherent hopefulness to it. And whenever you think of climate change and climate change solutions, to a degree, it's all about making the problem less bad, or it is about slowing the rate of damage. This is a way that we can start undoing some of the damage, so to speak, or at least trying to begin to make it better. Wow, Henry, it's been a minute. I'm very excited because today we're talking about direct air capture, which if you're wondering what that is, we'll get to it in one second. I know the suspense is killing you. Um, we're going to speak <laughs> with Jason Hawkman of the Direct Air Capture Coalition. So the DACC brings together global innovators to mobilize society for direct air capture, a critical solution for addressing climate change and unlocking a more sustainable, equitable, and prosperous future. And Jason... Um, he's been at Con Ed working on utility clean energy efforts and the Department of Defense and a bunch of other fun things. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Jason, nice to have you. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Um, eager to eager to tell you all about Direct Air Capture and the Direct Air Capture Coalition. And as you alluded to, I have 10 plus years experience in the climate sustainability energy space broadly defined. And it really wasn't until late 2020 that I started becoming really interested in and passionate about this nascent space of carbon dioxide removal and particular direct air capture. And I'm happy to answer your question. Yeah. Okay, yes. What is direct air capture 101? Direct air capture is basically engineered methods for removing carbon dioxide from the ambient atmosphere. It refers to a suite of innovative technological engineered methods that you can literally just take carbon dioxide that is in the atmosphere, that is in the ambient air, and remove it. That is going to be absolutely critical to hit any of our international climate goals. The UN IPCC has said that large-scale carbon removal will be essential and unavoidable to limiting climate change, to limiting temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius or less. And for a variety of reasons, direct air capture will have a massive role to play in that. Now, it is critical for me to make clear that direct air capture, carbon dioxide removal, is a complement to and by no means a substitute for aggressive and sustained emissions reductions and rapid decarbonization efforts. There's no way that one can substitute for the other. Direct air capture is kind of cleaning up the residual emissions that will be hard to decarbonize, hard to abate sectors such as aviation or maritime shipping or certain industrial processes like cement or concrete production. Are you are you kind of in a really elegant way saying some same Oh, I'm going to say it a little less elegant than you. Tell me if I'm wrong. You're saying that 
oil companies like Exxon and Shell and Chevron cannot just like blast direct air capture as the solve for climate change and an excuse for them to just keep running business as usual. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? So what you're referring to is often termed the the moral hazard risk. The idea that if direct air capture technology or other means of carbon removal exist, then it takes the pressure off of the need to reduce emissions. And that there are actors who want to point to the potential for direct air capture or for other means of carbon dioxide removal to say, we don't really need to put that much real focus in resources to reducing our emissions. And the thing about that is that we are just so far beyond that point. We absolutely need to decarbonize. We need to reduce emissions. But we also, we have emitted so much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere that we need to start cleaning up the mess. And we need to be mindful and cognizant and wary of any bad faith actors claiming that they can continue business as usual. But the fact is we need to be going as fast as we possibly can towards decarbonization while also aggressively scaling up, developing and scaling up carbon removal techniques. And where is the technology today? I I want the bio, the kind of like timeline. When did it start? Where's it at right now? Where do you think it's going to be in the next five years? Well, before we get there, you guys, just to clarify for the audience, um, the Direct Air Capture Coalition um, is a nonprofit that's working with these technologies, not necessarily a creator of these technologies, right? So um, we should contextualize what technologies exist out there, but you know who you guys are and how you work with them, of course, as well. Before I answer that question, I'll just give a brief overview of what the Direct Air Capture Coalition is. We launched at the end of this past May, we are a global multi-stakeholder nonprofit coalition organization dedicated to helping advance and accelerate the timely, effective, and responsible deployment of direct air capture technology to help address climate change. We consist of not only direct air capture technology companies, of uh, which we now count over 30 as part of our coalition, but also leading environmental nonprofit organizations such as the Rocky Mountain Institute or Clean Air Task Force, civil society organizations, academic and research institutions, along with other for-profit companies within the broader direct air capture market ecosystem or value chain. So I know that, for example, you you folks had a carbon cure uh, on your podcast they are a member of the Director Capture Coalition as they are interested in or they are potential partners for Direct Air Capture who could then provide the CO2 that has been removed from the atmosphere that then carbon cure could mineralize in, in concrete. So what we're trying to do is be a platform for education, for collaboration, and for connectivity throughout this emerging market ecosystem. So we want to both help build out to a degree serve as the connective tissue that any healthy, robust sector needs in order to thrive, and also be a reliable source for clear, 
credible information and educational content to decision makers, to advocates, to investors, to media organizations, and, and to the general public. Right. So let's get there. Does does air capture work currently? And you know what technologies are available that are working? So as I was alluding to, there is a diverse array of approaches for how you do this. To answer the question as to what is the state of it right now, it is very nascent. There are 18 operating plants in the world. There are combined, these are capturing roughly around 10,000 or so tons annually. The largest plant is... And you need to capture about a billion tons in order to make the IPCC happy. It's not even a fraction of a fraction of a rounding error where we are right Right. now to where we need to be. So the largest operating plant in existence is Climeworks' facility in Iceland. It's called the Orca plant. It launched, it began operations in September 2021 with the capability of removing 4,000 tons of CO2 annually. Largest plant in in the world. Can you make that, like, can you compare that number to something for us, 4,000 tons of CO2? 4,000 tons of CO2, it's maybe a few seconds worth of emissions. It is very, very little compared to where we need to go. To give a sense, gigaton scale removal is a billion tons. So 4,000 out of a billion is kind of the the ramp that we're going to need to see over coming decades. Mm -hmm. That being said, it is the largest plant to date. It is a critical first step. We need to run a marathon at a sprinter's pace here. And you can think of this uh, plant as really the, the first step in that in that effort. And Jason, I'm like such a visual person. What does this thing look like? I saw it in uh, the one that they have in, uh, was it like Sweden? Um, it, it looks like the exhaust tank of one of those very fast race cars. It looks like you've got like these vacuum tube things that, yeah. And, and so there are different approaches. Generally, the, the facility in Iceland, what you would see, it looks like a bunch of large fans that blow air over a material that absorbs the carbon dioxide. And then you heat up that material, which then will release a pure stream of it. Um, In Climeworks Iceland facility, they partner with a company called CarbFix, which can take that carbon dioxide that has been removed from the air and can mineralize it in um, basalt uh, formation, basically turns it into rocks. And the thing that's beautiful and that's very elegant about um, their, that plant also is particularly well designed because it runs off of geothermal um, heat and power. Cool. So it there's zero carbon going to power it. And then it is situated over this, over the geolo- geological formation where it can be uh, mineralized and turned into stone. Wow. So full circle. So, so direct air capture is energy intensive. Yes. Today, a lot of the technologies are energy intensive. One thing that we need to do is to, and it's kind of a a chicken and and the egg, um, situation with both the cost and the energy use is that 
this technology will improve, but we need to start deploying it to realize those areas for efficiencies, to improve it, to identify where there are opportunities for innovation within the different elements of the technology itself. So there, as I was saying, there's a multitude of different novel approaches being pioneered here. Some require more, some require less energy, some can only need uh, electricity, some need other sources of, of heat or power. But it's, again, something that you're going to need learning by doing in order to get down the cost curve. Because mm-hmm. right now, it is, it's, again, it, it's very much a nascent space. But the bigger picture here is, as the UN IPCC has made clear, scaling this technology is essential to being able to limit the extent of climate change. How do you scale technology? Do you improve the technology and make it more effective? Or do you literally just pop open a bunch of you know vacuum and fan plants that are sucking in air? You begin deploying it and then as you're saying find ways to improve upon it make it effective make it more efficient in terms of both the operation and cost efficient could you deploy it today could if you just opened up you know direct air capture facilities at scale um would that solve the problem or is the technology still too nascent to even move to scale so I think there are some direct air capture companies that would say that they are ready to go today. And if they had a magic wand and had all of the supply chains and the corporate off-takers, the folks who would be buying the carbon removal credits, so to speak, they could just you know, get going. I think there are others at an earlier stage that might need more time to improve the technology. Um, trying to be a little bit diplomatic because there are some companies that are further along than others. Um, all of them have great potential. And I think what we're trying to do with the Director of Capture Coalition is to help build out the enabling ecosystem for actors in the space to be able to succeed. Because the more companies who are doing direct air capture that are successful, the better it is for the planet. How many companies would you say in total have potential? All of the members of the Direct Air Capture Coalition, that's for sure. (laughs) That's a good answer. And and what what, uh, (laughs) number is that right now? And you can learn learn about those companies if you go to daccoalition.org, click resources, and look at the DAC company directory. You can find over 30 Direct Air Capture companies there. You can see where they're located, their websites, their contact information, and learn a little bit about their distinct techniques and applications for direct air capture. And there are ones that really have different business models, different approaches spread across the world um, that, that are part of this. And I think one thing that we're doing that is of value is even people who know that direct air capture technology exists might think there are two or three companies out there. People who might be a little bit more steeped in it might think there are you know, maybe a dozen, but there are over 30 and, and then some. And so by shining a spotlight, providing visibility, I think it, it adds value to both obviously the companies and the space more, more broadly. I'm curious to hear from you about the investment landscape because I'm just seeing 
like the hype around climate tech go crazy right now. And whenever I ask people what is exciting to them, I think 75% of the time I hear direct air capture. Yeah. So, and it's for a very good reason. There are a number of analyses that have come out that peg the future size of the direct air capture space at in, in the trillions. BCG put out a report uh, several weeks ago alongside Breakthrough Energy and Third Way, which is a policy think tank in, in, the, in the United States and DC, that looked at different areas of clean technology and the opportunities for competitive advantage there. And about direct air capture, it said that by 2050, the total market opportunity in direct air capture would be in the three to four trillion dollar range. Wow. That's insane. That is so much hype. Like, what, what is this, yeah. crypto? Like, let's let's know, unpack that number a little bit. <laughs> like, literally, right? Can we back out of that number? What? Yeah. And, and to another way to think about it is Julio Friedman, who had been an official at the Department of Energy, then was affiliated with Columbia's Global Energy uh, Center, and now works at something called Carbon Direct. He's a leading voice in, in this space has basically said that in order to get to the scale of removal that will be required, you would need at least 30 companies the size of Shell Oil. So that just gives you a sense of the massive opportunity here for the companies that can do this well to succeed and profit, you know, Massive opportunity. That's that's a nightmare to me. You know, the idea that you have these plants and facilities sucking in air uh, to compensate for the fossil fuel industry's absolute trash behavior is is disheartening. It's sad. I I wish we could just pop up, you know, old growth forests and peatlands. But like, I, I get the necessity. I'm just I'm devastated about the fact that this looks like it's going to be another somewhat energy intensive industry that isn't a great longer term solution because the the idea of ramping an industry of that size is also daunting in and of itself you know that's that's years 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 and years so it's like how do you purport that this is going to be a solution to meet the timeline that you stated at the outset of this so i would look at it in a different direction and one thing that really appealed to me about this whole space of carbon dioxide removal and and direct air capture is that there is an inherent hopefulness to it. And whenever you think of climate change and climate change solutions, to a degree, it's all about making the problem less bad, or, or it is about slowing the rate of damage. I worked in energy efficiency for a long time, and that is just about using less energy to do the same thing while still they're being emissions, but they're just being less per unit of activity or, or what have you. I mean, that's right. hugely important. It, it, it's the most important for, for sure. But this is a way that we can start undoing some of the damage, so, so to speak, or at least trying to begin to make it better. And at the same time, beyond that, the planetary necessity of doing this, it also is a massive opportunity for economic opportunity for job growth for, you know, job development, economic development, 
I mean, put the coal mining people in, in, you know, in air capture all day, right? Coal mining to air capture, sure, right? There's, there's industries, the fossil fuel folks um, uh, should get a nice new job. Wouldn't it be nice if just like Shell turned around and was like, oh, we're going into air capture. We're, I mean, we're they, they, they say, they at least say that they're doing that. They're lying, but um, it would be great, right? So like, I think your immediate point that you you, you stated um, is so relevant. It's that you can't actually do this and keep up the same bullshit and that we should be mindful that this isn't a silver bullet. It's an entire industry that has to be built and developed. It's like over a series of years. And while there is a massive economic opportunity for it, it requires an insane amount of investment to get off the ground. Yeah, it, it, what, uh, what it, sorry to interject, but what it is, please. and the best way I've heard it put is what we're trying to do and what we need to do is basically build the oil and gas sector in reverse in the matter of decades. It's insane to think about. And so I'm wondering, is there um, perhaps any innovations on the horizon for this that make it, you know, like 20 times more effective or whatever the case may be? Is there something that will um, uh, that will help to make this uh, more impactful uh, in the short term? Yeah. So we haven't really gone into the, the broader policy or market landscape, which is advancing rapidly in in this space. So in the United States alone, last year's infrastructure bill established a three and a half billion dollar program over five years to establish four regional direct air capture hubs throughout the United States. In August, the Inflation Reduction Act also enhanced existing incentives for direct air capture, namely something called 45Q, the 45Q tax credit. 45Q is a tax credit for for carbon capture, for point source carbon capture that also uh, incorporates direct air capture. And it upped the incentive for a ton of carbon removal via direct air capture from $50 a ton to 180 and uh, from 35 to 130 if it's utilized as opposed to geologically sequestered. What do you mean by utilized? Utilized, so if you turn the CO2 into fuels or, you know, un- unfortunately the, the largest use should today for captured CO2, and this is mostly from point source, not from DAC, is something called enhanced oil recovery. Okay, you're going to have to tell us what that is. That is when you capture CO2 and then you pump it into depleted oil wells to get more oil. Oh, no. Come on. Yes. Is that like what the oil but, companies uh, are using this for? That's what the oil, that's what some oil companies are. But Just of the DAC companies that you see, if, if you look at the DAC companies on our website, none of them are involved in that. And that's not Is that like a, a parameter for not being a part of the coalition? Disqualification? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I don't want to speak too categorically on any of these matters, but I can say that we are, we think we are testament to the fact that this is not a fig leaf for oil and gas. When you look at the actual actors on the ground in the field who are developing and deploying direct air capture technology, none of them, or at least one or 
two of our members have any ties at all to any uh, oil and gas okay. interests. That was a very diplomatic answer, Jason. <laughs> I tried to um, have some tact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but what I was getting at, there are also other means of utilization where you can, like carbon cure is a, is a perfect example of CO2, of DAC to utilization. There's other companies that can turn CO2 into fuel, um, into, you know, they take the carbon dioxide, go through some processes and turn it into fuel that you can use in your vehicle. <laughs> um, there's a company called Athier Diamonds. They take CO2 that has been removed from the air and turn it into fucking diamonds. Yeah, yeah. Ether has actually been a, a guest on the podcast. So there we go. Yeah. Literal alchemy. Yes. Um, okay, my burning question is, does anyone use CO2 to make carbonated beverages? Is that a thing? Yes. Yes. That, no, that absolutely stop is. it. That, yeah. I was air just like, air capture I thought you might laugh at me. Members. No, no. That is, that is very much a thing. And that is very much a market for CO2 for carbonating beverages um, and the whole different means of, of food food production. And that is the one of the business models for one of our company's air capture uh, company. Wow. And they have units that can supply um, breweries or beverage makers. And so, uh, yes. I'm confused though. And like none of us are scientists, so I'm not expecting us to have the answer to this question. But if we're capturing carbon dioxide and then bottling it in a beverage and then drinking it, is it really going away? Like, is your body then becoming the vehicle in which it breaks down the sea? Like, what is happening? You're, you're right. That that becomes then a circular application, a, a circular utilization where the climate benefit comes from displacing wherever the CO2 would have come from prior. Mm. So instead of it, being produced in some way that is harmful, you are just sourcing the CO2 from the air and it just becomes a, a carbon neutral process as opposed to locking it up in concrete or turning it into rock or injecting it underground where it is put away durably and safely for a long, long time. Okay. Would you happen to know the answer to the question of what happens to CO2 when we drink it? I would assume that we respire it in some some form. I, I don't, like I don't not know. Not a CO2. Okay, sorry. CO2 in, CO2 out. All right. We're going like, to we're I'm gonna need to call a doctor that. after this. <laughs> My mind is blown. <laughs> you know, it's not like you don't go like drink methane and think yeah. like you're you're going to fill like saving the planet I, I, that way. <laughs> right. I, 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 think, <laughs> I think one of Climeworks is Climeworks, the company, the Swiss company that has that the largest operating facility in the world. One of their First um, pilot plans, I think, actually was to source, I think it was with Coca-Cola or some other, other beverage company to provide their CO2. That is crazy. I mean, I can't believe I drink like bubbly beverages every day and I never even thought about this. Yeah, it, it's funny because there were, I remember seeing headlines over the summer about there being a CO2, sh in CO2 shortage for this purpose. For, huh. for particularly for brewers, for, for beer making. And it's like, well, I, I've got an idea of where we can get some more, more CO2. I mean, it's like abundance and yet yeah. not at the same time. 
It's like being being on a boat in the middle of the ocean and needing a drink. Right, right. Maybe we can get people, you know, the climate deniers of the world who the beer drinking climate deniers to <laughs> find their space in this in this in this battle. Um, okay, wait. You were you were on a a really important thread before I interrupted with sparkling effervescent beverages. The IRA has <laughs> has yes. benefits here, tax credits. Great. So I haven't uh, gone to this yet, but that to give a sense of the rate of change and the scale up, we've got that four thousand ton facility in Iceland. Climeworks announced that they had broken ground on a facility that will be able to do 10 times as much, so 40,000, that should be operating in about 18 months or so. Now, as a result of, or boosted significantly by the IRA and these enhanced 45Q tax incentives, a company called Carbon Capture Inc. announced plans at the beginning of September to develop a facility in Wyoming that will be able to capture and permanently sequester 5 million tons annually uh, by 2030. I have a question. Are the 30 companies that are part of DACC, since we need to scale this technology so rapidly, um, and it's obviously for everyone's benefit that we do that, is there a level of like, information, knowledge share happening to just help advance? Or is this like real comp- competitive landscape? So that's that's a great question. And I think there is absolutely a willingness and an understanding that there is a, a need and that there will be benefit from cooperation and collaboration throughout the space. That being said, at the same time, I think there are, as with any industry, you know, concern about proprietary technical knowledge or uh, confidential information. That being said, what we're trying to do is help be a platform for dialogue, for conversations and interactions throughout the space. So, for example, we regularly host virtual convenings of our members with key expert or outside parties presenting to and interacting with coalition members. We're in the process of working with Rocky Mountain Institute to inform a research agenda for where there is need for um, more academic or, you know, national lab research into specific areas. And the CHIPS Act, which was passed in uh, over the summer as well, also authorized or authorized or allocated about a billion dollars in R&D for carbon removal. Not all DAC, but there's more, uh, more research funding that will be going there. So, okay, I want to bring this back because we just have a few seconds left. You, in the beginning, brought up moral hazard. And since you have a background in energy efficiency and just talking to you for a little bit, I really believe that you understand that this is like a hands, all hands on deck, all on approach, and we can't just rely on techno fixes getting out of this problem. So what are um, some other things outside of technology that you're really interested in? And it could be like personal some change that you're making in your own life or 
something that you're watching closely in the world? Just kind of like a... I think there are any number of different pathways or avenues that we can move the ball forward on decarbonizing the economy, our way of life, and at the same time, while also maintaining a high quality of living. I think that some of the discourse around degrowth or things like that aren't necessarily helpful in in, in different ways. And particularly when you look at the broader, more global picture, where there are a lot of people who still will need to raise their quality of of lives around the world. I I find the term technofix to be a little bit dismissive when improved solar panel um, capacity or electric vehicles or better batteries or wind turbines or more efficient light bulbs or all of those things are technical, you know, are technological advances. Now, I also understand that at the same time, there are definitely need, there's definitely a need to improve and augment certain systems and practices. I'm not an expert on this, but my understanding is that agriculture, for example, and livestock and the way that our current food system works could be made significantly more climate friendly or at least less climate harmful. Um, And that's not necessarily a a techno fix. That is a a change in systems. But what I don't want to do, and I don't want to have your listeners or anyone think that, I don't think that it's an individual's responsibility to solve climate change. I think that we need to push governments to push corporations and businesses to implement better practices to you know enact better laws to make things happen because my reusing a a, a tote bag or taking the subway or walking instead of a car like it's it's great but it, it doesn't move the needle at the scale that that we we really need does that make sense yeah, and I, I use the word technofix maybe intentionally, like a little dismissively, just because of how often I hear that word used, not for the advancement of technology, which obviously I'm here for, but as like, hey, we don't need to do anything. We can sit back and technology is going to solve this whole problem. And I can just continue to, you know, gorge energy and mine Bitcoin all day and do whatever else <laughs> oh, yeah. um, because tech is just going to let me believe that there's an endless amount of energy at my disposal at, at my disposal you know what i mean that kind of thing but yeah uh, and i, I mean there are that. certainly some non-productive uses of energy that could be curtailed and i'll just leave it at that at the same time it is critical that we build out more clean sources of energy not you know to displace fossil fuel pollution and to provide more energy for people in the developing world and you know, to, to raise qualities of quality of life around the world. Let's leave it at Direct Air Capture Coalition, DACCoalition.org has a lot of really good resources. You're probably hearing Direct Air Capture, you know, like tooted around and you're not quite sure what it is. Well, they have really easy Q&As and diagrams if you're a visual learner like me. And um, you can kind of just sniff out all the BS on your own by getting some basics (laughs) from their website and all of their great resources. And if you want to do any really deep dives into anything related to DAC, you can check out our report library, which is nearly 150 reports from third parties that can really make you an expert quickly (laughs) in, in this space. 
Amazing. All right. Well, I'm going out and planting a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, thanks so much for your time. This is great. Thank, thank you so much for, for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Really appreciate it, Jason. Thank you. Um, I'm Henry Lynn. I'm Max Moynian. And thank you for joining us for yet another episode of Better World. Join us again to figure out how you can make the world better. And until then, keep using the reusable tote, people. Everything matters. Thank <laughs> you.